Take me back to Griffin Town, Griffin Town, Griffin Town. That's where I long to be, where my friends are good to me. Hogan's Bath on Wellington Street, where the point bums wash their feet. Haymarket <laughs> hey, Square, I don't care anywhere, for it's Griffin Town for me. St. Anne's stood for community. If I meet someone that I grew up with, no matter where I meet them in the world, we're from Griffintown. We are always from Griffintown. It's, it's an important factor for us to relate to. I realize it's part of my history. It's part of the Irish history in Montreal. I meet a lot of people now, and if we get into a discussion, and I mention Griffintown, they'll say, Griffintown? Where's that? Uh, the boundaries are East McGill, West Guy, Notre Dame, Lachine Canal. That was Griffintown. Until the mid-20th century, Griffintown was a residential, predominantly Irish, working-class neighborhood. As Montreal prepared for Expo 67, Griffintown was considered an eyesore. By 1970, it was zoned industrial, its residents uprooted, and their beloved St. Anne's Church torn down. You're standing on the southwest corner of Peel and Notre Dame. To the north, up the hill, up Peel, lies Montreal's bustling downtown. Although from down here, it's uptown, something nobody calls it anymore. Look in the other direction, south, down Peel Street. That's where we're headed. Our first Griffintown landmark is the Dow Brewery, that big building on the southeast corner. Now, remember the rules of this walk. Number one, please be careful. You're moving through a real environment. Things like cars, trucks, bicycles, and pedestrians are all around you. Be mindful of them. Number two, follow the rhythm of the footsteps as best you can. You'll be able to hear them now and again during the walk to remind you of our pace. This is what they sound like. If you're a musician, we're walking at 70 beats per minute. Number three, don't cross a street until I tell you. If you get ahead of me, please wait at the corner. I'll catch up. If you fall behind, press pause and make your way to where you're supposed to be. And finally, number four. Listen. At any moment during this walk, feel free to press pause and remove your headphones. The soundscape is happening all around us and I wouldn't want you to miss anything special. This guide is meant to be listened to in harmony with the sounds of Griffintown. Don't turn your headphones up so loud that you can't hear what's around you at the same time. Let's start walking. Turn to your right, down Peel Street. Grew up on the outskirts of Griffintown. Went to school in Griffintown. My friends were all in Griffintown. I think it was the best, even to me, it was the best time of our lives was, uh, was in Griffintown. And, uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I miss Griffin Town. <laughs> That's sort of right. <laughs> yeah, you can't know. do nothing wearing. No. Very colorful people. Mm -hmm. Very colorful. From one end of the spectrum to the other. Considering there's so much poverty there. From the priest. They were still able to have a good time, to laugh at themselves and everything. Yeah. Which today, mm -hmm. we don't see that. You couldn't explain what it was like. It was just so, like, 
you knew everybody in the school, like, you knew everybody. You knew their mothers, you knew where they lived. It was such a tight community that we didn't even know what was going on under the tunnel, because we just stayed there. A lot of the community has uh, um, disintegrated and people have gone and the structures have gone. Yeah, but poor old Griffin Town is finished. The brewery on the corner of William and Peel was a place that we used to go up to. Take a look at it sometime when you walk by. You will notice up at the very top, if you were standing on the roof, you could step out and there is a ledge. As kids, we used to sneak in there and up on the roof was a wooden shack. And this is where they used to vent. When they made beer, There's a, they have to vent it. Okay, because it builds up a lot of pressure. Oh yeah, so we the brewery. We used to smell the um, oh, yeah. the Dow Brewery. Uh, what is what did the we? Hops. The hops. We used, we used to, to smell, smell the it. hops. It all used to like foam used to float in the air, yeah. Come up out of the sewers. So they would release all the venting into this house, and it was always foam. So when we go up, we would open the door to this thing and we go into a cloud. But what we used to do, again, we would be daring each other to do these stupid things that I spoke about earlier. We would get to the edge of the building, climb out onto this ledge, get down on our knees, hang on to the edge of it and work our feet down. So we ended up hanging like this off the edge of the building. We've reached the corner. We're going to turn left on William, heading east towards the brewery. But press pause and cross the street at your own pace. I'll meet you on the other side. We're on the northeast corner of Peel and William. Let's continue walking. Both my mom and dad came directly from Ireland. No, my father was born here as well. But my grandparents came from Ireland yeah, in the 1850s. My mother came, uh, was born here, but uh, her mother came from Ireland. Um, are you Irish? No, Russian. Russian? Uh, my father was Russian, yeah. Uh, my folks were both from Ireland, yes. Uh, I was born here. Uh, we're Italian. My father and mother, his, his mother and father was Irish. My mother's half French, half Scotch. And behind Dow, you had Lowney's Chocolate. And a lot of people from around here, I think, worked there. And, uh, and that's where my father had his very, very first job when we arrived here in Montreal. My aunt, Florence, who lives across in the Point St. Charles area, she worked at Lowney's. And the one thing I liked about uh, her working at Lowney's is she brought chocolates on Fridays. And we used to go and try and steal chocolate bars. You remember the cherry blossoms? Yes, I yes. Uh, I, I used to uh, walk up Shannon Street and uh, and look into. Uh, it was at a ground level window in Lowney's, and we used to be able to look down because it was in the basement. But we looked from the sidewalk down into this huge uh, aluminum, I guess it was uh, vat, I guess you would call it, and it would have a big mixer going round and round mixing up the chocolate, and you could see the chocolate just, you know. The electric drone of the city dominates this space. 
The train tracks that bring thousands of passengers into and out of Montreal every day run adjacent to this neighborhood. The creaks, squeals, whistles, and horns are crisp and clear in the cold winter air, while hums, drones, and construction sounds take over in the summer. Stop walking and listen. I want you to listen to this environment. Do you hear the drone of the city? Are cars speeding by? Is the train coming in? Are human voices a part of the soundscape? Press pause, take off your headphones, and listen for as long as you like. I'll wait for you. Welcome back. Let's continue walking. There were lots of sounds and it wasn't quiet. And neighbors heard neighbors and kids screamed on the street and whistles blew and... Do you remember hearing the boats go through the canal? Oh, yeah. And they would come around and they would yell, Rags! Bottles! Lena Blickstead pounding that hand, that, that Kazavant organ up there. There was a gorgeous organ in that church. And you hear the hoofs of the horses. On horses, hitting the cobblestones. Took it so for granted. I guess it's like people living close to an airport these days. I mean, you don't, after a while, you don't even notice it anymore. Cross William Street at Anne. We'll be walking on the west side, the right side of Anne. Press pause now and cross the street. We're now on Anne Street. Let's continue walking. Haymarket Square began on William Street, right next to the t Nazareth. William, and it went up to St. Paul. Right where the police station is, the, the, the scale is still there. And the horses stood there with a load of hay on the, the wagons. It was all loose in them days. It wasn't bailed. And uh, you go over and ask, how uh, much you want for a load of your hay? And you look at it and feel it and tell them a few lies. You know. Not very good. It got wet and all this stuff, you know. But you got the load cheaper. You give the guy twelve or thirteen dollars, and he they bring it home, dump, put it in the shed for you, in the barn for you. All I remember is the bathhouse, and and there was swimming in the afternoons in the summer, inside. Mm -hmm. um, Tuesday, I'm listen to this now. Tuesday and Thursday for the girls, yeah. and Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for the boys. See, yeah. some things don't change. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Do you like to go back? Do you like to look around? How do you how do you feel when you go back? I feel good. Um, you know, there's a hymn called Holy Ground. Eh? You're you're sitting or standing on holy ground. You you walk around and you say, well, so and so lived here and so and so lived here, and then you go down and you s uh, see where our school was. And what I find most startling is uh, in the nearby neighborhood, like Saint Antoine and Notre Dame Street. All the fantastic new buildings, new condominiums, new apartments, which I find very refreshing, and it's done a wonderful thing for the area. I think you know. Depressing, you know. Uh, well, it's different. There's not. There's no people. That's one big thing. Like you know, it's uh, where every street had families. It's all industry now, way, eh? and uh, parking lots. Like my school is a parking lot today. It's all. It's 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 depressing. I feel more. Uh, more happy uh, than I do sad. I do know that there's a loss and a significant loss. Um, we'll never see uh, communities um, 
like Griffin Town. Perhaps many of the the people you've interviewed before are you know are older, much older than I am, and and have vivid memories of a much more active community than I have. I have a I have actually memories of a community that was clearly dying, and so it's nice to see that kind of a resurrection of the community. And 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 uh, again, as I say, the few times I've been there, there's there's much more life and there's much more vitality, which is great. When we reach the corner, we'll turn right onto Ottawa. Don't cross the street, just turn the corner. Our next corner, Shannon and Ottawa, is home to a fascinating Griffintown story. When you reach the end of this block, stop walking as you listen to the end of the story. The day that the plane crashed. 1944 on April the 26th was at quarter to 11 on a Tuesday morning. Oh, I was, I remember the plane crash. I was in second grade. But I was on, in seventh grade when that happened. I was 15 years old and I was, I was working as a, an office boy in the Aldred building. I remember I had bum school that morning. I had gotten up, my father was at work, my mother was out. I got up, came downstairs. I picked the teapot up, it was a green teapot, walked over, Halfway to the kitchen table, the windows, four of the windows in the kitchen blew in. And uh, we heard this noise, this loud, disturbing type of noise. We didn't know what it was, of course. And then she ran to the, to the front window on Shannon Street, looked out the window, and saw it hit the, uh, hit the ground in a ball of flames. Went right over the top of our building, and I remember looking out the window, because we heard the screeching, the plane going over the top. Hello. We knew there was something, like it was very, very low. You could hear the motor, the, the, the revving. Then I heard the explosion. There was a pause for about four or five seconds because what happened when he realized it was all over, the pilot, when he came over and he's heading in just before the, the plane pancaked and crashed, he, about four seconds before, he shut the engines down. You know, just threw the switches, shut the engine down. came down on the south side of Ottawa Street. It crashed right there, right near Irene's store, right from the Griffindown Boys Club. Oh, when it hit, all you heard was that big bang and that black smoke come up out of there. It was terrible. People were all over the place. Firemen, of course, were there. The police were there. It was still burning. Terrible smell of burning fuel. The crew, would, they were trying to land the plane in the St. Lawrence River or in the canal, but they didn't make it. It started blowing up over the top of the brewery there, Notre Dame and uh, Peel Street. Them buildings weren't there, so it didn't hit nothing. Would have hit some of them. Ooh. But uh, 15 people in all died. We knew a lot of the people in, in those buildings. One family was called the Wells family. He lost his wife. There was another family we knew. They, they were the Furlong family, Bill Furlong. And I figured I could tell Bill's house was gone. Then I found out later that Bill had left the house and went to get himself some beer, and it saved his life. The red and gray brick building in front of you, on your right, is a university residence. This was the site of the Griffintown Boys and Girls Club. 
Press pause and cross Shannon now. We're on the other side of Shannon, still on Ottawa. Let's continue straight ahead towards Peel Street. One of the facilities that was available to us in an organized way was the uh, Griffintown Boys and Girls Club. They had a lot of sports there, a lot of activities. Uh, well, I played basketball there and uh, ping pong and... Uh, I know girls who went there and they learned how to sew. Friday nights? Yeah, movies. Uh, show movies. Show movies there. Uh, there was a lot of uh, prominent boxers that came out of this particular club. Um, people by the name of uh, Armand Savoy, Gussie Mel, and the likes. It was a place that uh, teenagers and you went there. Mm-hmm. It was, was great. My mother wasn't crazy about it. It had a, it was a wonderful place. So you can scratch off what my mother's thought. But somehow I remember that way back, it was seen as a as a Protestant club. But the nuns didn't want us to go there because it wasn't Catholic. Okay, but uh, but we went anyhow. And uh, it, was, uh, it kept you off the street, and thank God that the club was there. Mm-hmm. Press pause and cross peel, continuing straight on Ottawa. We're on Ottawa and Peel. In this block, we pass St. Anne's Boys School, which is now the parking lot on our right. Let's continue. So in grade three, I went to uh, St. Anne's Boys School, which was on the corner of, uh, of Young and, um, and Ottawa. Yeah. The brothers were there, and they, were, they had a, what, a lot of sports. There was a lot of sports, but... Yeah. Uh, they had a lot of sports, and they, uh, and they were very strict. We, I did not experience the Christian brothers. My, my older brothers did, but... I did not. And by the time I got to school, it was they were all lay teachers. How long did you teach at St. Or when did you start? I started in 51, and I taught there about four or five years. Well, the first day of school, I said, did they supply us with baseball bats? I was so afraid of what I saw in the schoolyard. You know? I don't think that um, the high schools wanted us because, I guess, of our reputation coming from Griffintown. I overhear this uh, young boy, and this young boy said to the teacher, if you ever keep me after school again, Gus Mel and Armand Savoy and me, we're going to take you for a ride in the canal. We're at the corner of Ottawa and Young. Cross the street and head towards the fire station. Press pause now. Continue walking past fire station number three. There were the beautiful sounds because the events were beautiful, where the Corpus Christi procession, you know about those. And another thing is that we used to have processions like Corpus Christi Day, and they would have these processions on a Sunday afternoon, and we would sing all along the street. And beside the station, uh, number three fire station, on Ottawa Street, there was an indent there, and that would be an altar. And as we marched around with the choir boys singing, all kinds of hymns. Uh, we would stop there and they would do the bit with the, the monstrous, you know. So there would be the hymns for benediction and you know, Tantra Nirgo and, and well, Southern uh, Terrace. Let it know. Uh, uh, 
But I certainly remember, you know, the people lining up on the streets. Yeah, I mean, that was terrific, and everybody walked. I think prayed. I had pictures they were praying, all the praying and walking and singing. We're at Murray Street. Do you see the fire hydrant across the street and to your right? I'll meet you there. Press pause and go to it. We're going to walk north on Murray. That's to your right. Back up towards William. Let's continue now. The houses were built right to the, the street, street and there was, the street there was right no front lawn whatsoever. And you'd have like two steps up to your front door and then yeah, in your front exactly door. Yeah, that's exactly it. Women used to stay out, hang out the window like this and they would talk to each other. And you'd, you'd hear all these uh, women uh, chatting and having a great time. It's as good a time as ever to hear a ghost story. The empty lot, overgrown and full of garbage at our next corner, is the crime scene. When you reach the corner at William Street, take a moment to look for Mary Gallagher as you listen to the end of the ghost story. Um, do you believe in Mary Gallagher? No. You know, I like to. I, I, li I like to believe in it. I really do. Uh, but um, I always thought it was a bit of a hoax. Mary Gallagher? The ghost? The, ghost, the headless woman. Um, no, no, I only heard that when I was much, much older. And Mary Gallagher was a prostitute, and you never talked. Yeah, and the old Irish Catholic families, the, guy, the men they might have told, but the women, no way. Tell them I believe in her. She, oh yeah, if you told her it wasn't true, she'd fight with you. Mary Gallagher, I, all I knew was that Mary Gallagher got murdered, somebody cut her head off, but she never found her head, and she roams these streets looking for her head. <laughs> I got things to and there is, there is, uh, okay, she yeah. was murdered. That's true, all that's true. But it's no such thing as <laughs> going around looking for her head. That is a false. Well, t t she, was a, uh, she was a prostitute. Yes. She was, uh, yeah, that's the was. true part of it. She, she was, was a all that, but she wasn't, <laughs> like every seven years, come back and looking for her head. No, 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 no. So you're telling me you never saw a ghost as well? Never, <laughs> no, 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 never, no. never, never. No. And then some girls, like Rita Pigeon, apparently saw her. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, did anybody see her, or did we have the fear of God? And it's not hard when you're a little girl and you're running home and it's dark to turn around and see a ghost, right? I guess your parents used it as a threat. Better yeah, too late. that's right. I used to run like hell in trees. I don't think you ever saw her, though. Oh, no, I never saw her. One of the boys said, says he, he kissed her. I said, like hell, he kissed her. <laughs> um, I knew the, the legend, but of course, like many other things, I just never paid any attention to it and just wrote it off as, you know, one of those uh, old wives' tales of the Irish, you know, what can I tell you? The Irish are great storytellers, so, <laughs> I mean, you know, you've got to be able to sort out, I guess, at one point in time, what's story and what's, you know, what's fact. I don't know if it's true or what. He didn't Delaney told me he's seen it three times. Well, I think Dennis was one of these guys who stretched the truth a little bit <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> uh, Dennis was a great storyteller, but uh, sometimes you have to wonder. But if he saw her, good for him. No, I never did. Are you there, Mary Gallagher? I heard the rustle of an imperceptible sigh and thought I heard a, a muted, yes. I am here. You do know what night this is, Dennis, don't you? I've only a few hours left. 
When the moon drops beyond Mount Royal, I must go back for another seven years. Would you help me search for my last head tonight? Quickly, without thinking, I replied, yes. I have been asked by friends if I had really gone on the search with Mary to find her head that night. My answer is, who's to say whether I had or no? Who's to say if it was true or no? So please, do not ask this storyteller. I only create stars for those wise enough to see stars from time to time. And may peace attend you when you do see them. And that is my Irish answer. <laughs> Let's continue walking. Turn left on William, heading west, but don't cross the street. Just turn the corner. And watch your step on this block. The asphalt has a mind of its own. Like in, uh, in Griffin Town, there was no Polish people, there was no Ukrainians. Uh, it was all in a village, and Italians. But Griffin Town was a little bit of French and Irish. Our neighbors were very good, you know, French, Italian, and so on. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a mixture of, uh, of multiple ethnic groups. Like I would say in my class, it would be about 60%, 70% Irish and 30 or 40% Italian, of the Italian descent. A lot of Irish uh, in the community and a lot of French Canadians and uh, all families mix very, very well. Uh, I remember coming to the park here to play uh, and playing with a lot of uh, our Irish buddies and so on. But uh, funny enough though, our a lot of our neighbors were of Italian descent. I guess at the time people tended to congregate, the Italians congregated with the Italians and the Irish did with the Irish and so on very similar to what's happening today and will continue to happen. We've reached Eleanor Street. Turn left and walk south, down Eleanor. Again, don't cross the street, just turn the corner. I like it here. The block is desolate, but it reminds me that this street, like most in Griffintown, was once lined with homes, mothers on the stoops, and children playing in the streets. Imagine how different the soundscape was back then. There was a kindergarten. That's the first oh, yeah. kindergarten they had in Montreal. Yeah, the kindergarten on Ottawa Street. It was a co-ed school uh, for grade one and two. St. Anne's kindergarten. St. Anne's kindergarten and was run by what type of nuns? Nuns now, what were they? I don't know. Uh, they were the Sisters of Providence. The French Sisters of Providence. They were beautiful. They were just born to take care of children. Darlings, just uh, I, nothing but wonderful memories of that. And they put on plays and all kinds of things. Right from the beginning when I started school, uh, at the little kindergarten, we were always involved in concerts and Christmas shows and St. Patrick's Day. It was always a, you know, a festivity for St. Patrick's Day because of the Irish community. So. My first teacher was Miss McEntee, the sister of Father Tom McEntee, and I remember her. And grade one was Sister Louise. And they fed you, eh? Yeah, they fed us. And uh, they looked after us for they looked, until the parents come home. Until the parents came home, and that was the first kindergarten in Montreal. And uh, this building here used to be the residence, and they would go walk maybe 
five to ten yards outside the residence to the school right next door. Now they also had what was called the St. Anne's Day Nursery there, which is now um, a transport company. It's the only building that's left uh, on this particular street that, that has any affiliation or association to what used to be. In those days, Griffintown, and you will hear many Griffintowners talk this way, it was a very poor, poor area. I'm like, you know, I'm not going to make it out that it was the, uh, the, 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 all the families were perfect, because there were some families there where the father would uh, go into the bar on a Friday night and, um, you know, wouldn't come home with the paycheck. Well, of course, there was domestic quarrels. There were suicides, um, a lot of poverty. People were deprived of things, and there, there was there was stealing going on. You will talk to some people who talk about Griffintown, and everything was lovely and rosy and nice, and all these grand people. It wasn't like that at all. Yes, that aspect was there, but a lot of it was ugly and violent and vicious, stuff like that. Cross Ottawa Street, walking towards number 1224, straight ahead. Let's go together. I'll walk and talk with you. Just behind number 1224 are some stables. This is the Griffintown Horse Palace, where you might catch a glimpse of a horse or pony grazing in the space next to those condos. Here we are, on the south side of Ottawa. Turn right and head west on Ottawa Street, towards De La Montagne. Everybody was leaving Griffintown about 56, 57. I left Griffintown when I was married on June 6, 1953. I was married. The address was 273 McCord, and uh, I lived there permanently until I moved away from Griffintown uh, to Point St. Charles. And when was that? Uh, that was in 1960. We left Griffintown when we got married uh, on the 25th of September, 1954. The 53, 1953, yeah, 53, 53, 53, 53, we left uh, Griffintown. And once the church closed, you know, then uh, well, the school closed, and once the school closed and the church was gone, there was very little left of what was once the community. We're at the corner. Press pause and cross De La Montagne here. Are you on the other side of De La Montagne? We're going to walk south turning left towards the park. Do you see the plaque at the park entrance? Go to it. No need to press pause crossing this street, but please be careful. My sisters went to the girls' school, which was on the, which was on McCourt. Well, today they call it Mountain Street, near Ottawa. They were good, the nuns. They were strict. They were very strict with us, and uh, Mother Superior would come in and give us our uh, report cards. And if you got below 60%, they put a red mark on, around it. And my mother, how would I say, when she seen our report cards and she seen this red thing, and that was the time we had to study. Standing in front of the plaque? Let's read. Griffintown in 1896, when it was home to 8,000 people. Recent immigrants, largely from Ireland, lived in overcrowded conditions and offered cheap labor to the industries along the Lachine Canal. You're standing at the site of St. Anne's Girls' School and just behind it, St. Anne's Church, what many Griffintowners considered the heart and soul of the neighborhood. Let's spend some time here, 
listening to the voices of parishioners. Follow me to the front of the church. Turn left, and then continue south, down de la Montagne, in the same direction we were just walking. We're going to pass some row houses and head over to the park benches. Pierre Lieber uh, built a chapel on Murray Street, which is one street over. Mm -hmm. And they call it La Chapelle de Saint-Anne. And this is where the name St. Anne's came into being. Uh, basically, the center of my life was the church. Its congregation was extremely large. And um, we spent a lot of time in church. Uh, yeah, I was an altar boy, choir boy. So I used to sing masses at the 7 and 7.30 pretty well every day of the week. And then I was put out the choir because my voice was changed. <laughs> they do that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, and then I had to, uh, when after work, I used to go over there and answer door and telephone and so on, you know. And it was supposed to be only for two weeks, but it ended up to 61 years. <laughs> in we were married at St. Anne's, Mother of Perpetual Help Shrine. The side altar. And when were you married there? On the 25th of September, 1954, which just happened to be the centenary of the church, oh, yeah. because the church was built in 1854. St. Anne celebrated its 100th anniversary with Paul Emil Cardinal Lacey as the uh, chief celebrant, and uh, it was a fantastic, beautiful man. And as an int introduction into the, into the church, uh, the bells played extensively for upwards of 15 minutes, and this is a small caption of those 15 minutes that were on display that day. right at the stones in the park. They are all that remains of St. Anne's Church, the foundations that held up hundreds of devoted Catholics over 116 years. Do you see the benches in the park? They are positioned roughly as the pews of St. Anne's once were. Go over to them and have a seat facing the altar. I think Mass is beginning with a special poetry reading today. When any event happened, Angelus, during the daytime, the bells rang. The bells rang to call people to church. Celebrations, when it was uh, New Year's, or any major celebration, the end of the war, the bells rang. Are you seated in the church? St. Anne's Church, Christmas Eve, 1969, by Harry McCambridge. This grand old church has closed her doors, and the last procession has walked her floors. All her parishioners have moved away, and this is the reason she's closed today. It, it was a very spiritual building, very stately. From an architectural point of view, interior, it was something to behold. So there was a main altar, then there was an, an altar on each side. The church was sort of shaped like a cross. The stained glass windows were incredible. Everything about it inside was just beautiful. The aisles, the... We, we sang in church, by the way. We, every, it would be a brother that came to St. Anne's School, 
and uh, with a violin, and we would practice on a Friday, and we would sing those hymns on Sunday in church. And so, you know, and we always had singing in church. So that, that couldn't be said of very many churches at that time. There was no singing in Catholic churches at that time. Because when I moved from there to the point, it was done by a choir, not by the people. But we were singing ourselves. Mary, help us, help we pray. I was at the last Mass. Bishop Crowley said the Mass. And I always remember his words. You don't have a church unless you have the people. I think they tore it down about 1970. But I remember going down and watching them demolish it. And it hurt. <clears throat> anyway, yeah. Uh, I remember when they they had this huge steel ball hanging from a crane and they just brought it back and boom, smashed the walls in. And so they parted this Christmas morn, the day that Christ our Lord was born. They drifted off into the night, knowing their church had lost the fight. I think what makes Griffin Town are the, the, the people. Like, I, well, I'd have to say the people that I know are the Griffin Towners. You know, they know them best. You know, I can greet them. We went to school together, and there's a real bond between us. You know, Griffin Town is gone now, but you know, most of us it lives in our hearts. You won't, you won't find anyone saying, "Well, you know, uh, trying to hide their past." Yeah, but poor old Griffin Town is finished. Jack Kelly. Gerard Morgan. Catherine Cusack Morgan. My name is Gordon McCambridge. Hi, my name is Lou Borelli. Uh, I'm Maureen Kiley. And I'm Martin Kiley. My name is Louis Lacombe. And your name? Elizabeth Lacombe. Uh, my name is David O'Neill. I'm Don Pigeon. My name is James Thomas Kelly. Eileen Elizabeth Kelly Stacy. My name is Thomas McEntee. Leo Leonard, Leo Lawrence Leonard. Uh, I'm John Ryan. James Twerden. Oh, Dennis Delaney, formerly of Griffintown.